you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 17, our second sermon looking at the great high priestly prayer of our Lord, a prayer for sanctification. Last week we started looking at this wonderful chapter and we looked at verses 1 to 5 and we saw the prayer of consecration as the Lord Jesus dedicates himself to the atoning work that he must soon fulfil at the cross. This afternoon we're going to consider verses 6 to 19, the central section of John 17, which is a prayer for us, is a prayer for the sanctification of the church. And if you, if you have a Bible and look at that for a moment, verses 6 to 19, I want you to see the three themes in this prayer for our sanctification, each building on the next towards a climatic focus on our holiness. First of all, in verses 6 to 9, there is the theme of revelation. That Jesus reveals, manifests the Father's name to us. Ultimately, he makes God known to us through his word. So that's revelation. Then verses 10 to 13, the focus is on preservation. So revelation and preservation the Lord Jesus asks the Father to keep, to preserve his disciples now. He is about to leave them. And he is to do this by the revelation that God gives to Jesus of his name through his holy word. Revelation, preservation, verses 14 to 19, consecration. First of all, negatively, Jesus prays for us to be kept from the evil one while we live our lives here on earth, but more positively then he consecrates himself, that we too may be consecrated or sanctified, and that, sanctifying, that sanctification happens in the word which is God's truth. And if you take all of that together in many ways, these three themes, revelation, preservation, consecration, provide a marvellous summary of the saving benefits that Jesus gives to those who follow him. Reservation, sorry, renovation resulting in preservation and consecration all by means of the holy word of the living God. Which is the Christian life in a nutshell. But let's pray before we read and ask for the Spirit's help. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate our understanding. Give us ears to hear, hearts to understand that the truth that is in Jesus might penetrate those hearts, dispel the fog of confusion in our minds and give us light. We pray that you would, by your word, lead us to Jesus afresh, that in him we might know the Father, be preserved in him, sanctified in and by him, for your praise and glory in his name. Amen. So John 17, verse 6, I have manifested your name, to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, 
for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, they also may be sanctified in truth. Amen. We give thanks to the Lord for speaking to us in his holy and inerrant word. John 17 is, as it were, uh, the last will and testament of our Lord Jesus Christ, composed on the eve of his own climatic battle with sin and death and Satan at the cross, a battle that Jesus knew for sure would cost him his life. And here we get to read our Saviour's great desire as he contemplates it all. He gives everything that he has. He entrusts his greatest possession. He bequeaths his people, his disciples, into the care and keeping of the Father in heaven. Along with all the saving gifts and graces we're going to need to live in the world after his departure. That's what's going on in the passage that we read. So first of all, as I said, Revelation, what Jesus says in verses 6 to 9, he's reflecting on the theme of Revelation. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. We have seen this emphasis on the electing love of the Father given to the Son, a people to save out of the world from before the dawn of time. In verse 2, for example, the people whom you gave me out of the world. Eric Alexander, well known to us, illustrates this idea from the Anglican liturgy for a marriage ceremony. And uh, the congregation is seated, the music begins, and the doors of the church are flung wide open and the bride enters on the arm of her father, and he leads it down the aisle and up the steps to stand before, beside the groom. And the minister says, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And the father, normally with a lump in his throat, manages to croak out, I do. And then he takes her, his daughter, his bride, by her hand and places her hand on the hand of the groom. And that is what Jesus is saying. What happened to us? in the eternal counsel of God, if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father loved us and put our hands, as it were, into the hands of Christ. And he says to Jesus, I give you my beloved, my own dear child, to be your bride, and for you to be the bridegroom forever. Alexander said, the church is the Father's love gift to the Son. 
So having been given by the Father to the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus now gives in turn two gifts to us. The first is in verse 6. I've manifested your name to the people whom you have given me. That's revelation. There is a sense, of course, in which Jesus' whole life and ministry is one single act of self-declosure divinely in revelation. The Apostle Paul puts that, John, sorry, John said that in John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but the only begotten Son, God, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. That's why Jesus came, to make God known. To make him manifest, to reveal him to us in his words and his works, in his life and death and resurrection, in his mighty deeds, in his loving sacrifice. Jesus shows us God. And that's very much what he means when he says, I've manifested your name to God's people. In the Bible, God's name is shorthand for God's being, his character. It is God's own self, who he is and what he is like. And that is what Jesus unveils to us, the heart of the Father. Donald MacLeod, who I have a few books of his on my shelves, he quoted Archbishop A.M. Ramsey, who said famously, God is Christ-like, and in him there is no unchristlikeness at all. God is Christ-like, and in him there is no unchristlikeness at all. You look to Jesus to see God. You know God only in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. He manifests God's name to us, and he does it through the word of God. Verse 6, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Verse 8, for I have given them the words that you gave me. How does Jesus reveal, manifest the Father to us as children? He will do it by the Word. A closed, neglected Bible leads to an overlooked and misunderstood Christ and a distant, unknown Father. I think it's very, very telling the last 18 months, you know, our devotion to, you know, our private, personal devotion to His Word. That's how we understand, that's how we know God better. And when the word of Christ has its way in our hearts, we're led by it to know the Lord Jesus Christ for ourselves. And in him, we find we come to know the Father. He shows the Father's heart to us. And how are we to profit from the word? How are we to be sure we do not miss what the word is really showing us? Well, you see what the word requires. Verse 6. Jesus' Jesus's disciples kept your word. Verse 8. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they've received them, and come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. What does the word demand of us? Faith. We must keep and receive the word as truth, and we must believe the central message that the Father has sent the Son to rescue us from destruction and devastation of sin. So it's not enough to know the content. We know the stories. We can quote the texts. I gave you two memory verses this morning, didn't I? Just, Jesus wept was one of them. Quite nice and easy. 
but you know the verses. But mere familiarity with the Bible is not enough. Neither is it adequate in simply to assent to its propositions, a statement of fact, to believe that it is true. That is necessary, but not enough. To believe that it is true in some general academic sense. It's no use when it comes to the pressing, great issue of eternity. When you stand before Christ in the last judgment, your knowledge of the truth, of facts and details, but yet your rejection of the Lordship of Christ will can only condemn you the more. James 2.19 reminds us that even devil, the devil believes the facts and trembles. Now we need to go deeper further. We need the word of Christ by which Jesus reveals the Father to us and we receive it and believe it and know it personally, intimately. We trust, we rest, we rely. Our whole selves, we trust, we rely, we depend, we hope on the promises of mercy and grace that his word communicates. So let me just simply ask you this. Do you believe the word of Christ as Christ himself, by his word, highlights your spiritual plight, lost in sin, living under the judgment of God, apart from a saviour? Do you believe the word of Christ when he tells you of God's love and providing a way of escape through the cross of Jesus Christ? Do you believe the word of Christ when he invites you to come and lay your deadly doing down and to trust yourself wholly without reserve to the Lord Jesus to be your redeemer, rescuer, saviour, securing your pardon and reconciling you to God? Do you believe the word of Christ when he calls you to repentance and obedience to his word? That's how the Son reveals the Father to us. That is what is required of us in his word. So the first gift that Jesus gives us is the gift of revelation. That, that is the major emphasis of these first, the first part of this section. But there's a second emphasis on the second gift that Jesus gifts, intercession. It says, verse 9, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. See and behold the marvellous symmetry and coherence of the saving plan of God. The Father gives a people to his Son in eternity. The Son steps into history in the Lord Jesus Christ, obeys and bleeds and dies and rises to save those whom the Father had given him. And then the Son intercedes, having finished his great sacrifice and now reigns at the Father's right hand. And he intercedes for these ones particularly, not for the world. The church is the apple of his eye, the delight of his soul. And that is true. That's why we can be confident that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That's why we confess our sins to him. That's why we pray prayers of confession. Because we have an advocate with the Father who is faithful and righteous to forgive us. We can be sure 
that all our sin, weakness, unworthiness notwithstanding, at the right hand of the throne of God on high, is one who ever lives to make intercession for us, who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, who pleads our cause. Do you ever think of that? That Jesus pleads our cause before the throne of grace? It is a great token of the fervour of Jesus' love, burning, furnace hot in his heart for you, that though face to face with the glory of the Father, he is ceaselessly bringing your name, your cause, your needs before the throne of grace. And if you look at the text, you see that it is as he sounds this note about intercession that then he segues to the next major theme in prayer. Because now we get to learn the content of his petitions, the thing he is asking for both in this prayer and surely in his intercession, still in the glory of his Father's nearer presence. The first theme is revelation, the second is preservation, verses 10 through 13. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. I love that by the way because it tells us how Jesus thinks about his church. We've sung about the church today. But I wonder how you think about the church. If you think about the church, maybe we think it's worldly, compromised, frustrating, weak. The church would be great if it didn't have people in it, kind of thing. But Jesus says, I'm glorified in them. I delight in them. They give me joy. They bring me glory. Maybe we need to readjust how we think about the church. And pause a little before we rush to criticism and to judgment. But all the glory that the church gives, all its flaws notwithstanding, to the Lord Jesus, there is a challenge facing the church. Verse 11, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. Not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, Judas Iscariot. That scripture might be fulfilled. Now understand the overtones of threat that shroud Jesus' words when he says, I am no longer in the world, they are in the world. And the world, especially in John, is not the geographical term. The world has moral and ethical overtones in John's writing. It is John's way of talking about humanity living in rebellion against God. So when Jesus says, I'm leaving the church behind in the world, in a way it is like us saying, I'm going to leave my children to camp for the week in the exercise yard at Haverick Prison. Where there are threats on every hand. It's a dangerous place to be. That's why Jesus says, Father, keep them. Father, hold them fast. Preserve us forever. And notice he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. Jesus has already told us, he makes known, he makes manifest by the word, by the Holy Scriptures. So here, God himself, summarised in the name, revealed in the Scriptures by the Lord Jesus, is the means by which he will hold us, preserve us. 
that we are saved as Jesus makes the Father known to us through his holy word and we're kept by the same means. So do you see what danger we expose ourselves to when we neglect the word of Christ? The word of Christ by which we know our Saviour who shows us the Father. I'm utterly convinced that there is a connection between a closed Bible and a faltering faith. A, a, a link between the neglect of the revelation of God in Christ through the Scriptures and staggering, stumbling Christians who fall foul of a dark and dangerous world. And results of the Father's preserving work is unity. When the Father answers the Saviour's prayer, Jesus says there will be unity. Verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. We'll come back to this, Lord willing, next section where unity is the main theme. But preservation is a community idea. It happens in the context of the unity of the body of the church when we are together. That's why I was so, I was overjoyed to be together on Thursday night. That's why it's so important to be able to be physically together. To live out and practice our Christian unity. So that together under the word of Christ we may grow and be kept by the Father in the midst of a dark and hostile world. Is unity. But also joy. That's the other thing that results when the Father keeps us. This is under preservation. The Father preserves us, keeps us, holds us. There is joy. Verse 13, now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Christianity is defective when it is altogether void of joy. I'm not saying, you know I'm not saying, that weeping and sorrow and lament have no place. They have a large place in our lives, in our experiences, in the Holy Scriptures. But we've come to discover, if you've tasted of the sweetness of the Gospel, that in the midst of tears lamenting, there is a deep note that sounds of joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing, there is nothing... There is no circumstance that can rob us of that joy of knowing Jesus. It is so sweet to know Jesus. And revelation, preservation and consecration, thirdly. What a precious gift it is when the Father keeps his people by Christ through his word. He cultivates that preservation in the context of unity it produces joy. And the climatic prayer, consecration or sanctification. And verse 14 acknowledges, frankly, the world hates us because we're not of the world any more than Jesus is of the world. We're living in a war zone. And that's very, very poignant, isn't it? As we think of those trying to flee Afghanistan and things like that. But Jesus is not praying in that sense, if you can picture that, that we might escape the war zone like refugees, flee in a war zone. He is praying instead that we might be kept from the evil one while we are in the world. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them. 
from the evil one. Verse 15, while we stay in the world, the devil and the world around us, they make common cause together against Christ and against his people. So he is praying like he prayed for Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. The invincible prayers of Jesus oh, aren't they an adequate answer to Satan's desire to sift his people like wheat. And what comfort there is for us in that, because we get to see here how Jesus prays for us all, not just for Simon. Father, keep them. That struggling child of God, she needs you. So, Father, keep her. He's under so much pressure. There are temptations on every hand. Father, keep him. And it isn't just a negative prayer to be kept from the attacks of the evil one. It's the positive side that we would be sanctified. Our posture, you see, is not just defensive. We're in the world, we're trying to keep Satan at bay, the world at bay. No, Jesus tells us that he sent us into the world, just as he himself was sent. We're on a mission. We've been given marching orders into the fray, not away from it. We need more than just preservation. We need sanctification, that we would shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So Jesus prays for our holiness. And in verse 19 in the ESV, there's an unfortunate inequity in the way that the same Greek word is translated. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. It's the same word. Consecrate and sanctify. So Jesus is praying, I consecrate myself that they may be consecrated. Or I sanctify myself that they may be sanctified. The point is, where do you get holiness? Do you want to be more holy? I, I surely do. Do you hate your sin? Does your sin break your heart? Do you find it frustrating that, as I do, that you don't make more progress? Where do you turn to grow in godliness? It comes from Jesus. He is the sanctified one. And he sanctifies. He sanctifies himself that we may be sanctified in him. And again, notice what we have seen all the way through this wonderful prayer. The connection between the work of Christ for us and the word of Christ to us. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How do you go to Jesus? Where do you turn to hear him speak and give you direction? To grow you in grace, to nourish your faith. Where will Jesus meet you that you will become more like him? He meets you in the pages of this book. I've said it before, but you, when you hold a Bible, you're holding the most precious thing. It is the words of God. It is the revelation of God. And Jesus will meet you in the pages of the book. He will meet you in the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Christ makes holy Christians through the ministry of the Holy Spirit who leads you into the Holy Scriptures. But the thing is, we, <laughs> we don't believe it. We don't obey it. All the time you see people arguing, well, 
God didn't really say that. We spend our time critiquing it so we don't have to do it. But the Holy Christ makes holy Christians through the ministry of the Holy Spirit who leads you into the pages of Holy Scripture. We suggested at the beginning, I said that this prayer, Jesus' prayer, is like a last will and testament in a way as our Saviour goes off on into the climatic battle at Calvary for our sakes. But if, it is, if, it, if this is then, therefore, see if you see it this afternoon as Jesus' last will and testament, John 17, what do you do when a will is read? You obey. The will is executed. There's an executor. So Jesus is making a bequest to you, revealing the Father, preserving you in the world and making you holy. Isn't that wonderful? That Jesus, Jesus' bequest, revealing the Father, preserving you in the world and making you holy. That is our Lord's bequest. And it's all bound up with the Word of God, which is the words of Christ. How foolish we are if we don't draw on this inheritance that's been given to us. What riches have been made over to us by our Saviour. And yet many live in spiritual poverty because they don't draw from the inheritance that is ours. The revelation of God in Jesus Christ by the word. This is the revelation of God in Jesus Christ by the word. Preservation in the name by the Father in the midst of the world. Kept from the world kept from the devil by the word of Christ and sanctification, consecration to God, that you may make a difference and impact for the kingdom, extend his kingdom in the world for his glory and praise by the word of Christ. May God then help us to draw from this rich inheritance that God may be glorified in everything we do and that we may be sanctified that holy Christians will become holy Christians through the word of Christ. May God bless the word for his glory. Amen.